we continue to reflect on this All Saints Sunday, we turn to a text in the book of Revelation. I know it is a book that not many of us spend much time in for understandable reasons. But it's one that speaks some great truths to us about what lies ahead. Today we turn to Revelation chapter 7, beginning at verse 9. And this is, narrating this is John who had received this revelation. After this I looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands, they cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God singing amen, blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you're the one that knows. Then he said to me, there are they, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. I'm fighting my fall allergies, so if you hear a little bit, it's um, leaf mold is my, well, it's not my thing, but it's apparently the thing that messes with me. And as I say that, I'm going to take a drink of something warm. So anybody have a Pinterest account, whether or not you look at it ever? Do you have a Pinterest account? You don't have to. Jillian's like, hey, it's all right. You can hold your hand high. It's okay. So Pinterest, if you're not familiar with Pinterest, it's another type of social media-ish. It's a lot of do-it-yourself kind of idea gathering places where you can put your stuff up there that you've done and and people use it to plan things. I've seen wedding boards up there, people planning their weddings by putting things up there that they would like to include in their weddings. I'm not necessarily recommending that, but that's a, one of the things you can do with it. So alongside Pinterest is this, is this other, it's the dark side of Pinterest. Because when you see these things, you want to do these things, and then they don't quite turn out the way that you want them to, or the way that they seem to be on your screen. And they're known as Pinterest fails. 
And this is such a popular thing that around the baking side of that, there's a television show. It's streamed on Netflix since uh, it's been, let's see, I think it's like eight years, but for somehow, I mean, six years, but they've squeezed in seven seasons in that time. And it's pretty popular. It's called Nailed It. But most of them don't. Here's, some, here's a few examples of the left is what it was supposed to look like. The right is not so much. And there's one more just for fun. And then in addition to these and the things we see on Pinterest, we people building things that just didn't quite go the way that I think whoever planned them, planned for them to go. Like, this is going to be a hard stop on the train station. <laughs> or we have a bridge to thin air. Maybe not no, even nowhere, I'm not sure. And then maybe that was supposed to go there. Because that's going to be a hard trip too. And then there's the bridges, I mean stairs and the door, but not doing anyone any good. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. So anyone remember the playgrounds where, I mean, they would not build these playgrounds anymore. Mike, ours were metal slides and rock. When you got to the bottom, they got a pit of despair or something at the bottom of this one. So I don't know. Thank you, Mark. We have ideas, we have plans, and then we go to put them into effect, and that don't, they don't always come out the way that we have planned. And even when they do come out all the way, there's always something that doesn't quite meet our expectations or our plans. But when God plans something, they're perfect. It's a perfect plan. Revelation, the new creation that is being built, that is described in this chapter, and as we, we see it develop more fully in the end of the book, in chapters 21 and 22, is God's new creation, and it is perfect. Perfect image of life together and life with God is what John is being exposed to in this vision that he received and is now sharing. Revelation itself is a tricky book, and I'm not getting into all the other stuff. So today we're just going to focus on this text and what we find in it. We find this, the presence of the great multitude, the promises that were made to them and to us, and the person at the center of the throne. I love the exchange between the elder and John. The elder says to John, who are these? And John, the disciple John, we believe, he spent a lot of time around Jesus, so he learned how to answer questions that he didn't have an answer to. And he turned it back around. And I think, I don't know that he learned it from Jesus. I think he probably learned it from Peter, who always jumped in with an answer, right or wrong. It didn't seem to matter. So John just says, sir, this is your, this is something you should know, you would know. Why don't you tell me, as he turns the question back on the elder. And he goes on to, 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 to tell John that these are those who have found their way into the kingdom. And we get this beautiful picture 
of a body, of a multitude, a gathering of people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. In the first century, most religions were limited in either ethnicity or, or government. They were identified as a people group. It was your place. It was your people. But John gets this image that is so much bigger than I think anyone in that time could have ever anticipated. Every tribe, every tongue, every people make up this great multitude of those gathered around the throne. What a way to consider the initial stages of the afterlife on this All Saints Sunday, that the body of Christ reflects the full expression of humanity, bowing before the throne of God. It's a picture of hope. It's a picture of vast greatness that we can't even imagine. Even if you attended a megachurch somewhere, that would pale in comparison to what John is experiencing in this place, in this moment. And I've generally thought of this moment, of this chapter, as heaven's waiting room. A lot, of, a lot of the book of Revelation, you have to take this divine, heavenly perspective thing that John is experiencing and seeing and turn it into something tangible. So that's what my brain does with this. It's, it, it thinks of this, it's this holding place. They're waiting for the rest of the events of Revelation to unfold. So they're in this holding pattern, gathered around the throne. But I, but I know that John sees it at the, toward the end of times. But as I imagine it now, I think of it as it's not full yet. They're waiting for the rest of us to meet them in this place, this gathering place, this waiting place. On this All Saints Sunday, as we think about those who have gone before us, they're there waiting. They're worshiping and gathered together waiting for us to join them in the heavenly song. Engaged in worship. Now I say that and you think, oh my goodness, do you mean we're going to have to do this for eternity? I don't think it'll look like this. I have, I have a pastor friend who says, and he believes it uh, very strongly. I would say sternly. That's not the wrong word. Deeply. He believes it very deeply that worship is our hourly practice for eternity. I kind of like it. Again, it's not going to look like this, but it's getting us ready for our time together gathered in a place with the object of our worship being God. And as John is seeing this vision too, he's not just seeing some beings existing. In Jewish religion of the ancient times, they believed the afterlife was this place called Sheol, and it was merely an existence, a shadowed, shaded half-life which is not uncommon in a lot of the ancient worlds, understanding what happened after death. John saw something that was more alive there than it was even what we experience here. 
as they were in the full presence of our Creator, of our Heavenly Father. And as I reflected more on this image of heaven's waiting room during this week as I was preparing, my brain shifted to say, no, this isn't a waiting room. What do we do in a waiting room? We just wait. Thank you. And we, we wait maybe with our phone in our hands, scrolling through email, news, or playing whatever game we're currently addicted to. But it's pretty passive existence. This is not passive. This is active. So then my brain said, you know what? This isn't heaven's waiting room. This is eternity's tailgate. They are fully engaged. They are celebrating the creator of all that is seen and unseen and waiting for everybody else to get there. Throwing more dogs on that grill. Not really, but you know, they're just waiting and and they're engaged in it. It's not a passive thing. Celebrating in in anticipation of the final victory at the end of times. But as the elder is talking to John, he's, he's not just describing the multitude, he's also telling them how they got there. Scripture tells us they went through some great ordeal, or other translations said tribulation. You might be more familiar with that, that term of phrase, that word used there. As with most of the book of Revelation, there is little agreement completely about what some of this stuff means. So we don't know if the ordeal, we don't really know with any certainty if the ordeal was a specific event in the past or one coming in the future or for something more general. I tend to think of it as anything that verses 16 and 17 tell us that won't happen again. Life itself can be its own hardship. It can be its own ordeal. And in verses 16 and 17, we may never have gone through something cataclysmic, but most, many of these, if not the very last one of these, speaks to our hearts. They will hunger no more, thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd And it will guide them to the springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The foundation for the perfect new creation that God is building are not the streets paved with gold or the pearly gates or the gems fixed in the walls or whatever that actually is going to be. It's upon these, this promise that anything that would bring a tear of sorrow or hurt to our eyes will be no more. No more illness, injury, pain, no more insecurity of food or job, no more broken relationships, no more broken abu- domestic abuse, no more war, terrorism, or mass murders, no more natural disasters or human-made cataclysms. No more anything that brings those tears to our eyes. Those are the building blocks, the foundation of God's new creation. And as we hear those promises that have been made, that are being fulfilled with the the great multitude, 
we learn about their robes and the one who's seated upon the throne at the very center of the gathering, the source of those promises. And the elder describes the robes that they're wearing as being white because they've been washed in blood. If you, if you need any clue in the book of Revelations, you can't take everything as it's printed or written, was written, that you can start there. Because we know you get blood on stuff, that's a stain and it is not white. Their robes were washed in the blood of the lamb tells us that through the life-suffering death of Jesus and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that their stains are gone. They are covered in the righteousness of Christ, a righteousness that is not theirs, that we cannot earn, but is given upon, to us and put upon us by Christ. Paul often tells in Scripture, in the letters that he wrote to the churches, to put on our faith, to put on attributes of Christ, to put on the fruit of the Spirit. And these folks around the throne are the ones who have put on Christ, put on his life and lived it. And they continue to invite us to do the same. that as living saints, we too put on Christ and live with him in this world, following his way, borrowing his righteousness, surrendering our will to his so that we might be transformed by his loving grace. On this All Saints Sunday, we remember those those whom, who we continue to love and care about, that they have put on those robes that will never need to be washed again. They are white and will stay that way. For they are fully in the presence of God, fully experiencing salvation in a way that we can't even hardly imagine yet, having been purified by Jesus' life suffering, death, and resurrection. And while they are there here, we remain. We still have our laundry that needs to be cleaned. And while the text does say that we are the ones who wash in the blood of the Lamb, it is, the, it is Christ who's doing our laundry. We can't scrub hard enough to remove all the stains. But Jesus can and Jesus does. As we embrace his way of life, even though we fall short of his glory all the time, we borrow his righteousness and lean into the lives that he is calling us to live so that even though this world still experiences hunger and thirst, sun and scorching heat, and anything that brings tears of sorrow or hurt, to others' eyes. We live as those, we strive to live as those who are already there so that the world may see a different way. The world might see living saints who reveal God's kingdom as we have put on Christ. Amen.
Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of your love and presence with us always. Thank you for the lives of the saints who have gone before. Whether their absence is fairly recent or it has been a long time, we still feel it as if it was yesterday. Help us to remember that they rest in your embrace not passively waiting, but actively engaged, worshiping you, gathering with others, awaiting us at their sides. And Lord, as we live in this world, help us to live as saints, reflecting your glory to the world around us, drawing others to your Son. It's in his holy name that we pray. Amen.